You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Well, today is the final teaching in our teaching series, Rule of Life. And before we jump into our life category for today, what I want to do is do just a really brief recap and look back over this teaching series. We have defined a rule of life as an outer framework for inner growth. It's the structures we put in place in our lives so that we can actually become the kinds of people who Jesus calls us to be. And the metaphor we've used for that is really a stake in the ground that you would tie a plant to. Uh, the, the Latin for rule is actually a rod. It, it, it's, it's a straight edge that you would you know, stick in the ground and you would tie a plant to. And so this is actually from my garden. If you remember the very first week, I, I told the story of my tomato plants. And they grew to a point where they actually couldn't grow any bigger without flopping over because they needed structure. And that's what we need in our lives. We need certain stakes in the ground. And really, we're treating each of the life categories we've talked about as a stake in the ground and a stake in the ground, and and eventually creating that kind of tomato cage where you can tie that plant to it, and it grows up, and it grows to fruitfulness in Christ Jesus. But a rule of life for clarity uh, for today is not just a metaphor. It's actually a written document. It's actually a series of commitments that you would actually make. And so we have this available. This is a, just a rule of life worksheet. It will help you generate a rule of life in your own life. And you can find it at www.hillcityboise.org teaching. You can just click uh, the teaching series rule of life. And there'll be a button there that you can download this. You can print this worksheet. Uh, you can even, if you don't have a printer at home, you can even copy down the questions in a journal. And my challenge for you today is to make sure that you spend an hour this next week and just go through this. This has just all the different life categories that we've, we've taught through in this series. And for you to end up with not just you know, a few things you learned from the Rule of Life series, but that all of us in our lives would have a rule of life. And maybe you would even share this with someone. Uh, Share it with a friend or uh, an accountability partner. You could share it with your spouse or share it in your life group and that we would be able to check up with one another on those commitments that we're making. Remember that a rule of life is temporary season to season. So you might outgrow some of these things. You might change some of these things over time. But a rule of life really only has power if we say we're going to commit to certain practices and certain structures. So that's really my challenge for you. And one of the other things about that, just that teaching page is you can go back and it has all of our past videos of the teachings in the series and even the podcast. So this week, I would challenge you and encourage you. If you missed some of these teachings, not because they're chronological, but just simply because I believe every one of these life categories is incredibly beneficial to talk about, to go back and catch up on any of the teachings that you missed Click on that button, download the Rule of Life worksheet, fill that out, and then all of us as a church, I believe if we would go into this next season, the season of spring, with a functional rule of life, with a a series of commitments, with outer structures and outer frameworks, God would actually give us the inner growth that he wants to do in our lives. So would you do that this week? That's my challenge for you. Uh, Let's go ahead and jump into our life category for today. This is the final teaching in the Rule of Life series, and our life category for today is gospel. Now, I know what maybe some of you are thinking right now. Is the gospel actually 
a life category because there are other life categories we were, we've talked about that are clearly life categories like your heart, your mind, your body. Like those kind of things are clearly aspects of your life. But what does it mean for the gospel to be a whole category of our lives, to, to be something you know, that we, we make part of our rule of life dedicated to? And so I'll, I'll share, really illustrate that point with this story. Uh, a little while back, we had a newer couple who came to our church. And they had shared, you know, after they decided for Hill City to become their church home, they'd shared, they'd actually been to tons of other churches, you know, over a series of months. And we always asked the question, what was it about Hill City that made you stick? What was it that made you decide for Hill City to be your church home? And, and usually we'll get some of those answers like, well, you know, it was the worship or it was the teaching or it was, you know, you have a great kids ministry or something like that. Uh, but this couple, what they shared is, I'll never forget, it was unique. I'd never heard this response before. What they said is, we went to church after church, and we never once heard a clear presentation of the gospel. We never once heard a clear just telling of the gospel and inviting people to respond in faith. And they said, and when we came to Hill City Church, we heard the gospel clearly spoken the very first week, and we heard it spoken the second week and the third week and every single week after. It's, it's really part of our DNA. We want to be a gospel-centered church. Now, don't get me wrong when I share a story like that because we pray that we would stay in humility. We, we want to be in unity with other churches. So I don't say that at all to slam other churches in the valley. I don't even know which churches those people went to. And we pray that the Lord would, would keep us always from you know, kind of a spiritual elitism. We want to partner with the body of Christ even beyond our own church walls. But I say that because I believe it is all too common for Christians and for churches and for church leaders to kind of view the gospel as something that they take for granted where they look at the gospel as a story you tell to you know, get someone to convert to Christianity, but it really doesn't have much power in our everyday life. And that's just, that, I, I couldn't disagree with that viewpoint more. We want to be a gospel-centered church where the good news of what Jesus has done for us really continues to influence us every single day of our lives. A, a book that I would recommend to you if you want to grow in this area is a book by Jeff Vanderstelt called Gospel Fluency. And I think he hits the nail on the head when he, when he writes this. He says, but gospel fluency does not come about only in a classroom or during a Sunday morning gathering. In other words, people don't become fluent through classes or by passively listening to preaching or even by reading a book. So he's right, ironically, he's writing a book about be, being fluent in the gospel. And he says, they become fluent through immersion in a gospel-speaking culture. And really, that's my vision for our church, is that we would be creating a gospel-speaking culture, where the gospel is not you know, kind of narrowly defined as, uh, as a message that a preacher gives from a sermon, but it would be something, it would be this, this, this central truth that our entire faith is built upon. Uh, it would be the central truth that really continues to influence not just your life on a Sunday morning, but your life seven days a week. And it should influence our, our marriage. It should influence our families, our friendships, the way that we work, that the good news of the gospel really changes our DNA and it changes who we are as people. And so what I want to do today is just look at two Bible verses that are gospel-centered Bible verses and just talk about how we can actually become more of a gospel-fluent church. Uh, look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. 
The Apostle Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So the book of Romans, if you've never read the book of Romans, I would highly encourage you to read that book from the New Testament. It is a a really gospel-focused and gospel-centered book of the Bible. Some scholars would even say that these two verses kind of make up the thesis statement for the book of Romans. It's all about explaining the gospel and how the, the gospel creates a new kind of humanity between the Jews and the Gentiles both, and it creates one new people in Christ Jesus. There's something called the Romans Road. You might have heard this or be familiar with this if you grew up in church. The Romans Road is just a series of Bible verses from the book of Romans that the idea is if you read them and you're not Uh, you don't have a faith in Jesus, by the time you're done reading them, you could have a faith in Jesus because it clearly describes the gospel. You know, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Whoever believes uh, in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, they will be saved, right? It's these, these key Bible verses. I learned those in youth group years ago, right? And so we're talking about the gospel today. I think it's helpful for us to simply define What do we talk about when we talk about the gospel? Well, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion. And and what the gospel literally means, it's it's good news. And we can define it as good news about Jesus. That's what we mean when we're talking about gospel. Uh, There's plenty of good news in the world. Maybe you've even seen those those good news websites, right? Uh, Where they just have stories about, you know, a cat that got saved, you know, or whatever, right? There's these good news stories or, you know, we have good news in our lives. Oftentimes people share announcements and they share good news with one another on Facebook or social media. But specifically, when we're talking about the euangelion, when we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about the good news specifically about Jesus. And that leads us to ask the next question, well, what's so good about Jesus? You know, what is the good news about Jesus? And we can summarize it simply. There's lots of different ways that you can kind of describe, define, or or really explain the gospel. But if you want a simple definition of what the gospel is, it's this. Jesus is the Savior King. Jesus is the Savior King. What that means is Jesus is the one who saves us from sin and death. He saves us from the brokenness in our lives, and he's the king. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is prophesied about in the Old Testament. Uh, He's the answer to our question of, you know, who, who is our leader? Who is the one we worship? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And our idea of salvation, really, this word, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, is really also kind of narrowly defined sometimes. We kind of get the idea that salvation is just, you know, the, the get-out-of-hell-free card. It's, you know, it's your ticket to heaven. You know, it only makes sense after you die. Or it's only helpful after you die. But really, salvation in a biblical sense is the Greek word uh, soteria. And what that means is it's this idea of deliverance or wholeness or healing. And it's this all-encompassing kind of word. It's not just, you know, you get to go to heaven. And so what I want to talk about now to just show how powerful this idea of salvation is, is the idea that salvation is past, present, and future. And this will really show us a a bigger picture of why this idea that Jesus is the Savior King is such good news in our lives. First, the salvation is past. This is the justification we have in Christ Jesus. So we are saved from something. 
And that's something that we are saved from. We can call it sin. It's the evil that's in our lives, and we are all living in this world that is, that is broken as a result of sin. And, you know, it, it doesn't take a rocket science scientist to figure that out. You know, you just turn on the news and you'll see just all of the corruption and the racism and the hatred and, and all of the death and disease. And, you know, there's, there's anger, there's bitterness, there's broken families, there's divorce, there's all of this sort of stuff. That's the result of sin. It's the result of mankind living their lives apart from God's kingly reign in our lives. It's rejecting God's kingship and choosing to redefine good and evil as ourselves. And the wages of that sin is death. That's the consequence. We deserve death because of our sin against God. And so what salvation means is that Jesus died on the cross to take that penalty in our place. It's an atonement. It's a substitutionary sacrifice. And so salvation is past tense, and we are saved out of that. We are saved from our past. We are, we are, we are saved. We are, we are no longer have to be that old person because Jesus Christ, in his body, on the tree, he, where he was hanging, he took our sins in our place. And so that's how, that's how salvation is past tense. It is we are saved at one point in time. We are justified. We are forgiven. We are shown God's mercy. But that's not all. Salvation is also present. That means that we experience a sanctification. Now, the process of salvation actually continues in our lives. We are not just saved from something. We're saved to something. We are called according to God's purposes. We are called out of the kingdom of darkness into God's marvelous light. And so we are saved, uh, sanctified so that we can live a holy life. It's one of the ways that, that God doesn't just want to forgive us from sin. He wants to free us from the power of sin. So the Holy Spirit comes and lives within us and helps us in that battle against sin and temptation. And you can experience more and more freedom from those things. You can become more and more like Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit and by the power of the gospel, right? That's why salvation is present tense in your life. And then you're also called to a purpose, like we looked at last week, that there are good things that God has created for you, and you are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus, that you would walk in those good works that God has for you. So we're in the present. The salvation of God found in the gospel makes us more holy, and then it also leads us to finding our purpose and our calling in Christ Jesus. But that's not all, right? It's like one of those infomercials. As if that was enough, that's not all. So salvation is past, present, and future. The future aspect of salvation is the glorification. And so we know, even after we're saved and even after we're experiencing more and more freedom from sin, that we still live in a broken world, that the world that we live in is still affected and afflicted by evil, by brokenness. You know, we, we, even our physical bodies decay and we experience death. And so one day, ultimately, sin, death, brokenness, crying, mourning, all of that stuff will be fully done away with. And God's kingdom will fully be reunited with this earth. And we will be in glorified bodies. We will be raised back up uh, with Christ. And we will get to experience the goodness of God forever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's the glorification and the hope that we have, uh, that we are citizens of heaven and we await the Savior to return. Right? So that's powerful. Okay? That is good News. I don't know if, you know if people really understood all the aspects that salvation is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card, that salvation is past, present, and future, and it makes a difference on every aspect of your life. We would talk about it, and we would live it, and we would experience those truths on a day-to-day -day basis. So here's my question for you. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? 
Well, Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, he says, The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who what? To everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. The Greek word is pistis. It means faith. To everyone who has faith in this. I think about John chapter 11 when Jesus is having a conversation with his friend Martha. Her, her brother had recently passed away. And what he says to her is he says that everyone who believes in him, who has faith in him, will live even though they die. He's talking about the glorification. He's talking about having a new life found in him. And then he looks at Martha square in the eyes and he says, do you believe this? And I would just ask you that question. Maybe you've heard the gospel dozens of times. Maybe you, maybe you even grew up in church. Or maybe this is the first time today that you're hearing the good news of the gospel. Do you believe this? Because it's actually only through faith, it's only through believing the gospel that we can actually unleash and open the door to the power of salvation in our lives. And so I want to invite you, I want to invite you to believe the gospel deeper. And for you, maybe if you've never responded in faith today to believe the gospel for the first time, there are certain theological truths that, you know, we need to believe in order to believe the gospel. We need to believe that Jesus actually is the son of the living God. We need to believe that he lived you know, in a physical body and died physically on the cross and was raised back to life. So, so I would just say, do you believe those truths? But then also, not just will you believe by faith, but will you, as Paul says in Romans 1.17, will you live by faith? The righteous, people who have received the righteousness, robed in righteousness from Christ Jesus, we now live by faith. That means you, Jesus is not just your Savior, he's the Savior King. He's the Lord of your life, and you would commit to following Jesus for the rest of your days. Today, if that's you, for the first time, I want to invite you to pray a prayer today and ask God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. And I also want to call you to the step that Jesus asked us to take in order to commit our faith in him, which is a step called baptism. It's this, it's this ceremony of committing your life to following Jesus. You're going under the water, showing you're dying to that old self. You're being saved from that old self, and you're raised back up to a life, showing that you are raised to a new life in Christ Jesus. You can find more information, and you can sign up for baptism at hillcityboise.org baptism. But for so many of you who are part of our church, you've already made that decision. You've already even been baptized. Here's the point for you. Here's our main point for today. Once you've heard the gospel, share it. Once you've heard the gospel, share it. Once you've experienced the gospel and the power of salvation in your life, and if you truly believe that it's the power to save the world, then why would we not share it? We talk about the things that we care about. We talk about the things that we're excited about. Think about a time in your life where you had really good news. You know, what did you do? You told someone. You posted on social media. You couldn't help but let that good news overflow from your life. This is what uh, Paul says one verse earlier in Romans 1.15. He says this to the church in Rome. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Paul is eager. He, he, it's overflowing out of him. He can't wait to go to Rome, which he's never been to Rome before. He can't wait to go to Rome. He hears this at church because he wants to talk about the gospel with them. He wants to share the good news of the gospel because he knows it's powerful. He knows the gospel is the power of God for salvation, not just in a past tense, but past, present, and future. And, and, and I think you know what Paul also knows, he says in Romans 10, 17, he knows this. So faith, right, the belief in the gospel comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. 
Earlier in, in that chapter, he kind of goes through this progression of how can people have faith if they've never heard, and how can people hear if no one's preaching, and how can someone preach if they haven't been sent, right? And this whole process. And so for you, if you have experienced and heard the gospel and you've accepted God's grace through faith, then now share it. Share it. Talk about it with someone else. Because people need to hear that there's good news. People need to hear better you know, good news than just you know, a cat got saved off a bridge, right? People need to hear the true saving power of the gospel and experience that in their lives. And yet for many of us, our attitude towards evangelism, that word evangelism, euangelizomai, uh, is literally just telling the gospel. It's, you know, experience the gospel and just, you just tell it to someone, right? You don't have to be on stage. You don't have to have a microphone. You don't have to be a street preacher. It's just talking to people about the gospel. Our relationship to evangelism, it, it could be described more hesitant than eager. Paul says he's eager, and yet for so many of us, we are hesitant. So what I want to do is spend the rest of our time answering three questions, and really these are three questions that I think uh, are barriers to us in sharing our faith with others. So we're going to get really practical. We'll look at a question, then we'll look at some practices to actually help us answer that question well. First question is, who do I tell? You might be wondering that. You might be saying, well, who do I talk uh, to about the gospel? You know, I don't have a ton of friends outside the church, or, you know, in this season, I don't have a ton of friends because of COVID, right? I don't talk to a lot of people. Who do I tell? Well, the correct answer is everyone, right? All Christians should tell everyone the gospel. But more specifically, that's not super helpful. More specifically, tell someone. And even more specifically than that, tell someone in your life. Uh, God has specifically placed you and people in your life so that you could have an influence for God's kingdom. And so here's a practice for us to, to really kind of get our focus on who we should tell the gospel to, is simply start praying for people. Pray consistently for lost people. Pray consistently, weekly if you can, daily is even better. Write down people's names. Uh, I remember hearing a story about Dwight Moody, just a famous evangelist and preacher. He had a list of 100 names, and he would pray for those names uh, of lost people, specifically lost people, and pray for those people, praise for those people. And by the time that he died, 96 out of 100 people had made decisions for Jesus Christ and were following him. And at his funeral, the other four actually gave their lives to Christ. So there's power in just praying consistently. Maybe you don't need to have a list of 100 names. Maybe it's just a list of one name or a list of three names or just a list of people, the people who are in your neighborhood, your coworkers, your friends, your family members who don't know Jesus. Never stop praying consistently for lost people to be found. And then another way that we can think about who do I tell, who do I talk to about the gospel, is if we only ever share the gospel with people who, who, who don't know Jesus yet, we're really going to get rusty at even communicating the gospel. And so if we want to become a gospel-fluent church, we need to actually share the gospel with people who've already heard it before. Here's what's amazing about Paul saying he's eager to preach the gospel to those who are in Rome, because the church already existed in Rome. The church already had believed the gospel and had faith in Jesus. And so Paul certainly is thinking about spreading the gospel and sharing it to people who've never heard it. But he also wants to preach his gospel to the church in Rome. He, he to, to further you know, talk about the gospel, discuss, and the mutual growth and the iron sharpening iron that comes from just God's people talking about the good news of the gospel together. So how can you include gospel truths in the way that you parent your kids? And you're just reminding them 
of the salvation found in Jesus. You're reminding them of God's grace. You're reminding them of God's love. Again, this is why we have to understand the gospel isn't just you know, this copy-paste story or this template that you have to run through all these bullet points. It's simply reminding your kid when they get a bad grade that God loves them regardless of their own performance is reminding them of God's grace, and that's gospel truth in that moment. Right? How can you include gospel truth in your marriage? How can you include gospel truth in your life group? One of the most powerful things we've done in our life groups is when we take the Lord's Supper together. And we simply go around and we say, today, what are you thankful for about Jesus? And we just share, and we're sharing the good news of the gospel with one another as we remember and we take the Lord's Supper. So who should you tell? Tell the people in your life, both the people who don't know Jesus yet, pray for those people consistently, and also the people who do know Jesus, because we all need to be reminded of the truth of the gospel. The next question is, how do I bring it up? It's kind of a huge barrier for people. It's like, okay, I'm praying for this person. How do I actually bridge that gap and get into a spiritual conversation with them? And sometimes, to be fair, people ask you. Sometimes, and and that's amazing when when it happens, right? Where you just are living your life, you're full of faith, people can tell there's something different about you. And we've said this before, that the good works that we do open the door for the good news of the gospel. And so we should be living our life on mission. Whether we're talking about the gospel all the time, we should be living our lives as if Jesus actually is good news. And that's great, and we should definitely do that. But that shouldn't be all we do, because that really is taking a little bit more of a a defensive posture, right? We're going to wait for them to come to us, right? And we want to be on mission, and we want to be on the offense when it comes to God's kingdom. And we want to take ground and gain ground. And what that means is we need to not just wait for that conversation to arise. We need to be able to initiate conversations. So what's the best way for us to initiate conversations? Here's our practice. It's to ask compelling and non-threatening questions. Simply to ask compelling and non-threatening questions. Uh, there's a book that I just got recommended to me uh, last week, actually, and someone handed it uh, to me. It's called You Gotta Ask, and it's by John and Pam Strain. They're actually a local couple here in Boise, and they have this outreach ministry where they, they, they teach people how to actually get into conversations about faith and spirituality. And they talk, the whole book is about these compelling and non-threatening questions and how we can use them for the sake of evangelism. And here's what they call the platinum question. Okay, so this is their like, if you don't know what to ask, ask this question. So if you want to ask someone a compelling and non-threatening question, write this one down. Here's the question. Assuming there is a God, right? So right away, you're just kind of like non-threatening. Like, I'm not telling you there's a God, but assuming there is a God and you could ask God anything, what would you ask? See, that is a question about a question. You flip it around. Assuming there's a God and you could ask him any question, what would you ask? And you're going to learn a lot about that person's story, about their thoughts and beliefs about God. You're going, that's a question that gets you into a spiritual conversation. And then you just see where the Holy Spirit takes that conversation. So that's how we bring it up, is just ask questions, right? Uh, a simple question is you could just say, hey, what's your church background or what's your faith background? And people, they probably have, you know, if they don't go to church now, they probably have lots of bad stories about church about growing up in church and things not going well, right? And just listen. So just ask questions and listen. You don't have to have a whole script. You don't have to have it all planned out. You just have to have one question and just to listen with compassion. Just listen and actually care what the other person is saying. Well, then what happens when they flip it around on you and it becomes time for you to talk again? And maybe they say, well, what do you think about Jesus? 
Or what would you ask, you know, God? So here's the next question is, what do I say? What do I say? For so many people, they have no idea. They, they're, they're worried they're going to have that moment like you had in, uh, when you were taking a test in high school. Do you remember that? You sit down for the test, you studied well, and then all of a sudden you write your name, and then just pff, the mind goes blank. I think all of us have experienced that to some degree, right? For some people, it's like every time I take a test, right? But, but we just are worried we're going to have this moment where the words just won't come out, and we don't know what to say, and we'll just be standing there, and we look like an idiot. And so here's three different approaches, and we've talked about these approaches before in the past, but I think they're really kind of our go-to approaches for what we should be saying when it comes to sharing the gospel. The first practice is just to tell your story. Talk about your story. Uh, If you have a faith in Jesus, you have a testimony. You have a faith story. And we need to stop in the church kind of downplaying our stories because, you know, some people have these crazy stories, right? The Apostle Paul, crazy testimony, right? He was persecuting Christians, and then he becomes a missionary. Some people are like that. They grew up on the street, or they're addicted to drugs, or whatever, and now they're following Jesus. Powerful story. But even if you grew up in church, and you were discipled by your parents, that is a powerful story. Because there are so many young people walking away from church who grew up in the church, and that's going to actually be more strange to them that you stuck around and you actually still have a faith in Jesus. And so never downplay the power of what God can do when you simply sow those seeds. So tell your story. And it can be kind of a full testimony if someone's like, I want to hear about your story. And you talk about, well, I grew up here, and this is when I became baptized, and this is what it, what, this is what it was about Jesus, and whatever. Or it could be even bits and pieces of your story. What I mean by that is you can just simply answer the question, why is good Jesus for you last week? You know, why was the gospel good news for you last week? And you can talk about, man, last week I was really dealing with actually a lot of stress. It was a really difficult week for me. I was starting to get angry and bitter. And then it was actually just, you know, freedom that God offered me through the Holy Spirit as I was reading my, in my quiet time, I was reading the Bible, and it was the peace that surpassed understanding for me. Just being reminded that I could talk to God about any request, and God's a good father, and he hears my prayers. And honestly, that's why the gospel is good news to me, because there's actual salvation in the present tense, not just the past tense, the present tense, that Jesus makes an actual difference in my life today. Tell someone that, right? That's a bit or a piece of your story. It doesn't have to be the whole thing, and just talk to people about your story. The next practice is to tell God's story. What I mean by that is sometimes we, need to, we, we do need to just open up the Bible and go to some of those gospel-centered passages. If you don't know where to go, go to John 3.16 or Romans 1.16, right? Just, just go, to, go, go to one of the gospels in the New Testament and just actually read through some Bible verses. Tell God's story. Uh, we've used this, this really succinct four-word process of the chapters of God's story before, and maybe this is helpful for you to write down. God's story basically goes like this. Creation, God created the world good and everything in it good. Fall, sin turns everything bad and all the effects and all the brokenness in our world. Redemption, Jesus Christ took the penalty and the punishment for our sins and he rose again and offers us a new life. And then restoration, Jesus is coming back and he's going to make all things new once and for all. That's the four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. You can memorize those four words and you can tell people the basic you know, good news of the gospel in a short amount of time. And then the third practice of what do I say is sometimes, right, I think we should be equipped at all seasons to give a reason for the hope that we have, but sometimes it's okay to simply just, you know, invite someone to church and let someone else preach the gospel to them or invite them to a small group or invite them something. And so practice number three is invite and follow up. Invite and follow up. 
And so for us, we can just acknowledge that that paid promotion works, right? We can pay, and, and here's an example of that. We sent out uh, 2,800 of these mailers, right? Or I guess 2,799 because I have one right here. And this just is like, hey, come celebrate Easter with us. Here's our online stuff. Here's our social media. Here's a map, right? Super simple to our neighbor. We sent this to uh, the streets surrounding you know, our new location. But you know what's even more powerful than this? Is this, even though it's tinier. This is a you know, business card-sized invite to Easter. And it's even more powerful because what can happen with these, and they, they do work, right? People see these and they're, like, they're curious, and I pray over the mailers. I pray that God would use these. Uh, but oftentimes, these might just go in the junk and you know, go in the trash with all the rest. But this one, even though it's smaller, right? You can put it in your wallet. You can put it in your purse. You can put it in your car. You look someone in the eyes and you say, I would love for you to come to Easter with me. I would love for you to sit next to me on Easter. I believe Easter, God's going to move powerfully in Easter. And we as a church, every single one of us, I want every single person in our church to hand out at least one invite card, maybe more. We've got over 1,000, and we would just love for you to be inviting people to Easter. Another invite card that I would encourage you to be inviting people to is we are doing uh, a course called Alpha. It's a six-week video course. We're doing it online on Zoom so people don't even have to show up. It's really kind of low commitment in that way. And uh, we have these Alpha cards. And so this just has like the link where people would sign up for that and get the Zoom link. And, you know, it, it's to explore faith, life, and meaning. And it's really geared towards people who are either brand new to the faith or they don't even have a faith in Jesus yet. And so maybe someone doesn't come on Easter. The week after Easter, the Sunday after Easter, we're starting Alpha. And then also with invite cards, we have just our regular invite cards and we reprint them so we have our new address, correct service times, all that sort of stuff, right? And we just always have these available for you. So why do we print invite cards? Why do we spend money and spend time designing these and make them look good, right? Why do we do that? Because God can use even the simple act of inviting your barista to church or the simple act of, you know, maybe you've invited that person five times, but it's the sixth time that's going to actually, you know, they're going to say yes to. God can use those simple acts of just inviting someone to attend an event with you. And the pressure's not on you to, like, be the one who preaches the gospel message. That's why you don't have to write a sermon because I write sermons every single week, right? So you can just invite people to church. But then the second part of that is follow-up. Invite and follow up. So if you invite someone to something with the church, even if it's like, you know, a hangout event, like a men's breakfast or whatever, then my challenge to you would be not just to invite them and say, mission accomplished, I brought them to church, balls in their court, right? That you would invite and you would follow up. You would go out to coffee and you'd say, so what did you think about that event? Or what did you think about the sermon? Like, be honest with me. What were the questions or the doubts you had about it? And follow up. And what that's going to show is it's going to show that person you don't just care about fulfilling a duty to get people to church or whatever, but you actually care about them as an individual. And you are there for them, right, to help them process through. And God's going to use you in that person's life. And maybe one day you would even get the honor of baptizing that person into God's family. One last practice for us in this whole context of sharing the gospel is to never stop experiencing the gospel. Never stop experiencing the gospel for yourself. Like I've said, the gospel is not just a past tense thing. It's past, present, and future. And that means the gospel doesn't just have power in other people's lives as we share it, but the gospel has power in our own lives as we experience it. So never stop reading you know, the four gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
you know, don't stop coming to church because you're going to be able to experience the gospel message at Hill City on a regular basis. And even think about that practice of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is this meal that Jesus himself instituted so that we would never forget the gospel. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. Uh, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim, you preach, you're evangelizing one another, you're sharing the gospel with one another, even when we take the Lord's Supper. So I understand there's so many people who are still watching from home in this season. My challenge for you would be to get some nice bread on the weekend and get some grape juice or some wine, right? And to actually take the Lord's Supper as a family or as an individual to just proclaim the Lord's death until he comes and to experience the gospel fresh and regularly in your life. So what are those things for you? What are those stake in the ground things for you when it comes to the gospel that you want to make sure that you are committed to both experiencing and sharing the gospel with others? Because the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.